Mr. Laquia Jamfi, founder of the British Blacklist. And I am here with a phenomenal, nominal, nominal, nominal woman, um, my sister in, um, my homegirl. I impose all these friendships. They, no one don't know me from nowhere, but I claim all these people as my best friends because I love them. So please introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Sharon Duncan Brewster. I am a human being <laughs> and I'm working really hard at it. And I'm also an actor, actress, whichever you prefer, I don't mind. I'm a creative, that's me. That's the SDB, as the rest of the world likes to call me. SDB, but, I mean, that was a fair intro. I think that's okay. I mean, no. you're not gonna pick yourself up, are you? You're not gonna be like, yes, I'm a fantastic, phenomenal actress that really cuts to the heart <laughs> of my characters. And I deliver <laughs> these real characters that we can empathize with, you can relate with, you can cry, you can laugh with. I'll say that for you. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I'll take it coming from you as well. How are you? You know what? I'm, I won't lie. I'm tired. I mm. am tired. And I'm tired in, in many aspects of the word. I'm tired because a lot of things are happening. Some good, as we know, and some bad, as we yeah. know. And I guess, you know, that's why I say, you know, when I introduce myself, I'm a human being. Because let's face it, we're just, we're all on that level right now. We're just dealing with life and it seems like we're all in the same boat so um some great things have happened over the last what say three years mm. um and you, you i know you know the journey you this is why i've been so looking forward to talking to you because... i know i can't believe it's been so like i don't even think we've done a proper conversation interview ever no, i think the deal is what i'm so grateful to you for is your support you've always been so, so supportive of myself and you know so many of my peers in, in the industry you know what it was such a joy to be on the red carpet in leicester square of my first and only red carpet and i stepped onto the red carpet and i looked up and i saw you and i was just like yes i reach i reach i just felt so at home and comfortable and happy because i know that your part you know your journey as well it's it's I feel like we've all been sort of like coming up together and it's it's just it's lovely to know that we're all things are bubbling for so many of us right now first of all you were in the intent to and yeah. that was the first time red carpet thing and yeah. that was like one of like one of the first I think the first for all of them in both Femi and Nikki having their film yeah. being like a Leicester Square red carpet moment Mm -hmm. And then even for myself, the journey for me being on the carpet on the other side, first of all, seeing all you guys on the red carpet, but also for myself, it wasn't my first red carpet, but it's one of those ones where the journey for getting to have a position on the carpet, yeah, has been a journey. In. So mm -hmm. you, when you're saying that we're all coming up together and it's because you and I are probably closer in age than some of the guys that we're watching come up. Yeah, um, sure. And really in this moment of black British renaissance. Mm -hmm. And so... I, there's times and I don't this is why I want to ask you there's times when I felt I'm a bit old for the young people they're all like in their 20s at that time or mm -hmm. early 30s so being in their space we can talk we can have fun but actually mm -hmm. to party there's a difference to who you're partying with your peers true true I hear you then, so I just wanted to say how do you feel and not to put your age on blast but we are of a different generation to the come up yeah. kids but I you're still part of it do you get what I mean Totally, totally agree. Yeah. I think, you know, Generation X, I'm, I'm, I'm at the very tail end of Generation X, right? Yeah. And so to know the Y's and the Z's and to, to work most of the, the last 10 years, 10, 15 years with them, 
Yes. It is an unusual position to be in because it's not like, you know, it's not like my peers don't exist. It's not like the Wumi, the Wumi Misakus, the um, Nikiyamuka Birds. Yeah the Nadine Marshalls, they're there. They've always, we've, we've always been here, but there was sort of a dip. And I don't want to say it was in energy because we were working, but it did seem like those that came before us, it was a bigger deal made of them when they were on screen. It was a bigger deal made about them when they were on stage. And for us, it felt a little bit like, we're just doing it now. And it's great. Don't get me wrong. No complaints whatsoever. These, these are the people who have kicked down some hardcore doors we are benefiting from that. It did feel like we were the ones to come along and do the hard craft and get on with it quite quietly, sort of stealth-like in a way. And then there was another way, this resurgence of, of right, what's, what's happening with black entertainment and what's happening with black identity. And so there's this sort of undulation of what it meant to be a black actor. And especially as women, the sort of roles that we were being offered weren't necessarily the greatest roles. But when we did get some good roles, we normally did real bite down real hard and, and do, you know, some of our best work, I would say. There's so many, I mean, there's loads of people I haven't mentioned them. But yeah, there was a difference. And so when you, like, for example, when we did the Intent 2 rap party afterwards, yeah. they've all gone down to the after party and they've been up and down and stuff and while up. And I've come, I've come in and, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit older. And you could sort of see people looking and going, rah, she's here. She's coming here. So not necessarily white and grand, but yeah. you know, just to just to free up myself as well. And you and there yeah. was a certain way that people speak to you. And it's it's respectful. And I love that and I appreciate that. But there's sometimes when you just want to be one of the gang, you know, just Sharon, that's the part that's what you're, <laughs> you're actually speaking, because after the premiere, I was with my cousin uh -huh. and it was exactly that. Like, should we go? No, I'm gonna go. And if I'd seen you, I might have been like, sis, let's go. Yeah, for but sure. I hadn't put two inches together and it's a bit like, no, oh, do you know what? It's all right. Because I'm I've been there, done that with all the type of partying of my peers. So now yeah, yeah. after party, it's got you gotta have some sort of connection to be there to feel comfortable mm -hmm. because you're older, apart yeah. from being maybe even if you're on your own or something like that, you need your people, whatever age you are. Yeah. And so I feel you, and that's exactly how I felt being in certain spaces, as you're trying to break down doors, you might be the only black in the room. And the mm -hmm. way you vibed, if you're the type of black that I think we're the type of black, yeah. there's a vibe <laughs> and a ways to, that we are in a mm -hmm. certain setting that it's just the freedom. That is something that's come up a lot prior to lockdown even, you know, I had to start to tune into as a human being and as a creative, where is my freedom? How much freedom do I allow myself just to be? Where I'm not hustling, where I'm not, constantly thinking about work and it's not that I enjoy constantly thinking about work but it is always at the front of 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 my energy and my actions on, on a day-to-day -day. so there's times when you just have to go when I've had to go Sharon stop you are exhausted mm. you've worked really hard you deserve a break mm. this is this is you know when you, I look back and I go well I did this and I did that job and I did that but fortunately over the last what say three and a bit years I had some work that actually fell nicely into place which never happened before i was always just looking at the phone sort of worrying about when you know when my agent was going to call but because sometimes you know one job gets you another job gets another i was working really hard and i realized i hadn't had a holiday i hadn't been home in my own yard yeah. i was away touring or i was filming in another country and so i started to realize you haven't actually tapped into yourself you haven't even tapped into your peeps family and 
you know, brethren, you know, friends that just are part of what it is to be alive, what it is to actually energize, re-energize and rejuvenate yourself so that you can then go back into the industry and whatever stage or screen and, and, and emulate life. So I've sort of been looking at things in a different way with, with regards to making sure that I get sleep now, that I'm not sacrificing certain moments of quiet downtime to do things that I really don't necessarily need to be doing. And I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to do that. And I really am grateful of that as well. So, And because you mentioned the wave, the high, the low, the dip. And I think I yeah. might come in the dip or just at the end of the dip when I'm with the British Blacklist. My thing is, why are people not getting celebrated when I know they're doing work, but when you don't see them in the mainstream, rising star, veteran actor, yes. a seasoned award-winning, all the black people weren't getting mentioned at all. That was my incentive. So then this journey started to happen and the visibility started to happen. So then what was the first project that set you on your path? Like, yes, I can do this, that's one. Yeah. And then what was the project that pulled you in quotes out of obscurity that you felt repositioned you as SDB I'm the woman to come to actually. I would go right back to 1998 for that one. The, the, mm. first, the first role play it was that I felt, okay, I'm doing this, I'm an, I am an actress, was called Yard Girl. And mm -hmm. it was at the Royal Court Theatre, written by a woman called Rebecca Pritchard. It was a two-hander and it allowed me to really investigate what it was to be a performer. Um, Great director, Gemma Bodonet. And my co-star was Emilio Laudel. It's, it's so funny to say co-star now, you know, because that, I never used to use those kind of words, but that's the mm. truth. That's, that's what it was. It was two of yeah. us in it, starring us. And we worked hard. It was very physically draining, mentally draining, but we got great reviews. We ended up um, going back again to do it in America, in um, oh. Off-Broadway, which was just a whole eye-opening experience. And from that, it felt as if this thing that I had been doing for a long time and sort of getting little bit parts here and and um, guest leads in, in soaps and things like The Bill and Casualty, finally there was this moment of, no, you, you're good at this and, and you, you are worthy of being in this space. Even though, you know, theatre for me was such a weird world. I didn't see anybody, I didn't see many people who looked or sounded like me. And so I was always, I always felt like I was sort of dipping in and allowed to dip in, but I have to just jump out quick time because I didn't want anyone to, you know, imposter syndrome kicked yeah. in very early then, right? But um, it was the first time I felt welcomed as well as an actor. Mm. Like people saying, well, you know, you're an actress and blah, blah. And I kept hearing this thing said to me and I was like, yeah, I do this. I get paid to do this. So, you know, that for me was, yeah, definitely a moment of reading reviews and hearing people say, you know, nice things about you. Of course, it's going to make you feel great. But um, yeah, that for me was the beginning. And people from there, I started, doors started opening and I got a job straight off the back of that, which was a Sarah Kane play. I think I was still doing Yard Girl. I had left the audition and was walking down the road. I hadn't, it'd be like two minutes and the phone went, phone call came through they want you they like you they're oh wow community. that was the first moment of going okay all right now you're on you're on the you're on the treadmill it's happening so um mm -hmm. yeah that was definitely the first um breakthrough performance i would say so then there was a lull so yeah. not a lull, and I, not, I don't mean to say lull there maybe was a lull, you know there was there okay was. 
in the lull moments, what were you thinking? There were many lulls, loads of ups and downs, loads of dips, loads of quiet moments where you where you go, right, well, I'm doing this part-time job. I might have to try and find another job just to pay these bills because I, I was looking great. All of a sudden, you know, I was doing this part, that part, and now it's gone quiet again. And part of that was I was just getting off with the same sorts of roles to begin with. Was it in correlation to being a black woman in the UK and the roles that weren't there for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my age had something to do with it as well. I was young, so I was getting typecast as young, urban, you know, these are the words that have been written, yeah, not me saying it, um, feisty or vulnerable. So many cliches. And I'd be looking at the scripts going, well, why can't I play this character? She seems really intelligent and witty and for a long time there were a lot of pigeonholes that that people tried to place me into and that that's another thing that i've always been battling with as well you know people had certain expectations because i'm black because i'm a, of a certain age that i'm this type of person they may used to make assumptions about us and for a long time and, and to a certain extent i still think that goes on as we say and then we know things are changing slowly but um at first it was accidental i was choose i was doing roles that were varied and I think because of where I trained Anna Shears, Anna always taught us to just do all sorts of different things to free up ourselves and I jumped on that from a very early age so I never wanted ever to be repeating the same sort of roles and I think fortunately I thank my younger self for it because it wasn't deliberate at first but I seemed to just jump onto different types of characters on television and on stage and um I'm, you know some people i've been told that's testimony testimony to my acting that i have a varied range and for once now can say yeah i do i do have a very varied range i think i was quite bashful about about acknowledging that in the past but you know what we're in a position now where we have to own these things because people don't want to celebrate it anyway so let it be known and when someone says it i say thank you very much yes i have i am or you know so yeah the dips were there and i was doing you know all, all kind of things to get money and then i would take the good jobs when when i could and i must admit i would take some crappy jobs as well because it was about getting exposure or getting the experience because although i trained at anna shears it wasn't a drama school as such it was an after school workshop experience experience which is slightly different which which i tell you the firm foundation totally and the amount of actors that have come out of yeah, yeah, yeah. all kinds of people daniel kaluuya joe wright the direct loads of directors producers and also mm. at the same time loads of nurses doctors mm. psychologists people from all walks of life but who i reckon most of them can look back and say that there was something really important about their years at anna's that anna, anna gave us all a confidence to be ourselves and make whatever our work is believable and honest so without that woman i don't know where i'd be um i love her bad i love her bad and i feel like i need to go and try and see her because um i'm i'm so without her gosh I'm, and i'm hoping that she knows what's been going on recently with, with all of us i'm sure she does but um if you're listening anna thank you so much love your birds I wasn't even going to ask about training and getting into it, but I mean, that that's also really important. And you carry what was instilled in you through those moments. So then when I noticed, oh, Sharon's getting work, isn't it? Like, <laughs> she's back in town. Like, oh, Sharon's back. 
What was the Sharon's back moment for you? Then? I think there've been a few Sharon's back moments. Yeah. Um, like I say, there've been so many lulls. So there were times where, and it wasn't even like I'd stopped acting. I'd gone and done a lot of theatre. So I get a lot of people saying, why aren't you acting on my dog? See on the TV and I said, well, I've been doing loads of stage work and mm -hmm. learning whilst I was doing the stage work. So I did a load of work nationally and internationally. I chose to do a lot of work outside of London because I wasn't getting offered work in London. Mm -hmm. And there were roles that I was getting outside of London, which were like dream roles, you know, my first Shakespeare. I, I was a Shakespeare, I had a phobia every time that i'd get the audition call yes and the globe have called my stomach would just literally drop oh, wow. <laughs> and i'd be I'd start stammering on the phone going yeah yeah okay what's the, what's the part what's the blah, 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 blah. because i just because i didn't train and i, I never really was into classical theater as such you know it felt like it was totally out of i was out of my depth but i went to liverpool the liverpool everyman theater and i played titania and mm. i loved it and people that have seen it said, oh my gosh, you're Titania, you, you brought a totally different edge to her, you know. So people saw that and from seeing that, um, Sarah Frankham from Manchester Royal Exchange saw me play Titania and then uh, invited me to come and read for um, Stella, Stella in Streetcar Named Desire. So I went from there to do that back more or less, what, a year or two later, something like that. And we all know the story about that, you and I were about Streetcar Named Desire. Yes, we did have that. The whole, you know, it was it was colorblind casting, and um, there, yeah, there was a interesting scenario that occurred after a review came out. But I don't tend to let those things bother me. I feel that I'm there to do the work. If I can address it after I've done the work, because I'm there for the audience, I'm not there for for reviewers as such no insult i think everybody's got their place in the industry um but um for me i go on stage to tell a story and, and that's a, it's about the audience it's about the viewer watching mm. and and as long as they are okay with what they're seeing then i'm cool i'm also about inviting the audience to really dig deeper when they're watching something like that's mm. what makes it much more of a educational experience as well as as an informative in a sense to self where you start to question your beliefs and your identity so yeah there are lots of jobs that i've chosen that are like that and i'm not afraid to do that at all and then there are dips again that occur and then i've done loads of really weird unusual plays that no one else will want to do it seemed like it was your safety net then theater because when tv was throwing crap at you you were getting to explore train develop yeah and keep acting on stage i would say for sure i, f I feel that um I, a lot of my development occurred doing stage work and mm. most of that being outside of london for sure don't get me wrong it's not like i, I see theater as being a safety net at all i love doing theater it's a totally mm. different experience it's live it's electric you can sense the audience and every performance every night is different every matinee mm. is different and I love that variety within it. If, you know, the screen's not being as respectful of your talent and your brilliance as you would like, but yet mm. there's been a few projects like sex education and... So I would say what happened was I was developing, honing in on my craft and mm. gaining confidence. And that's a really important thing that happened from doing these, these works outside of London. I was gaining a confidence that meant when I did come back to London, people were going, Oh, you've been away for a while, but wow, this is this is exciting. This is this is different, and so I was then 
seen on stage in London and that's how the casting directors were starting to call me back into the room for TV for screen and in the meantime you know I had done things like Top Boy which was for me one of one of my favorite roles actually because there was an element of reality that I knew existed for so many for so many black women in this country that hasn't been discussed hasn't been even acknowledged there's sort of like a a veil of privacy that we place upon many things to do with mental health in in the black community that I thought was really important needed to be addressed if it was great at the time and that I could bring some truth to it and so I, I threw myself into that I went very method on it I was I was not my normal self doing that the first series season of, of um, Top Boy but it paid off and I think I got shortlisted, longlisted for a couple of awards, which was nice to even hear. Mm. Uh, there were some other jobs that came from it. However, all the jobs that came in after that, the job offers or auditions were for that type of character. And so I had to spend a long time, a very long time, and I still do receive loads of, of offers. It's not that I'm adverse to, it's not like I wouldn't ever wanna play that type of character again, but there has to be something different about her as an individual there has to be something different thematically about about the show itself from that i had to start saying no to things just because i realized it wasn't healthy to keep doing the same thing and so i just waited and then star wars happened and that yeah. sort of made a little splash people going whoa okay that's sharon sharon from bad girls but bad girls was a real big project for me that's where i uh, learned most of what it is to be on set because I did yeah. four seasons of that and so that I, I watched hard and learned and it was great to be able to develop a character over a long period of time. I'd always said I'd really like to start small and work my way up. You know when they say when you put it out there it comes to you so I'd had some I'd done some short films and then I said if I ever got a big feature film yeah small part so Star Wars came I didn't realize at the time how important that role was. Then somebody said to me, oh, Sharon, do you know you're the first black female human with a speaking part in Star Wars? I said, nah, 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 nah. Come on, man, no, that, it can't be so, no, I've got so. And then, and then I started to ask around, because, you know, people have got back to me and said, yes, actually there was a TV special with Diane Carroll, legendary Diane Carroll. And she sings in it was like a musical uh of course lapita is there but lapita you, you never see lapita's face she's not a human right. character so i was like you're kidding me no, there's no way that i but as far as i know it is true there, and there also been... the, extra, the extra cherry on top is that you're british as well and i think that's the part i'm trying to hone in on is the fact that because there was this lack of visibility of black women in roles that are seemingly unattainable, especially from the UK. And so to see you in these key roles. I did notice there was a, an awareness from different people in the industry and the way that they approached me, it, things changed slightly and I was taken more seriously, I think. But, you know, let's not push to the side the fact that, yeah, there are within British society, even let alone on screen and, and on stage, the way that black women of a certain age are portrayed is still there's still a lot of adjustment that needs to occur because I think they're stuck in some weird stereotype of or misinterpretation I don't even think there's even that going on I, I, I question that people even 
really explore and and this is what i encourage people when when i've had certain scripts sent to me which are very similar to um the character that I played in top boy i am now encourage the writers I, number one congratulations you're, you're getting a film done that is a big deal you've written a script that's amazing keep going with that but i also encourage you to explore different aspects of these women these people who have their own stories their own elements there's so much more to be pulled out with any woman that you see on of a certain age i feel like you know you get to sort of 30 35 and there's this big gap and this has been going for a long time and it's it is changing slowly on screen i'm starting to see with scripts coming in that things are definitely looking better but there does seem to be this weird pocket of 35 to 45 year olds who are either not there at all or very one-dimensional. And I don't understand why that is the case. I would venture forward that we weren't allowed to be, and I say allowed, which I hate that I have to say that, but we weren't allowed to tell our stories because even now, though there's a, there's a change, there's a focus on the millennials and the Gen Xs or whatever, but mm-hmm. us, we've got money, we've worked, we're successful. Mm-hmm. Even if you're blue collar successful, you're just, you've been in your job, you pay your bills, you've got your pensions. You're winning. So you, winning in whichever way you've done it and then you've got the creative entrepreneurs of our generation who are sitting there looking at the tv like well i've got to watch everything in america because there's not one british show that nothing so we hold on to our one two of you lot with dear to for dear life and get overprotective because like i don't want to see you doing this that and the other and that's why there's this you know over critique when when we finally get on screen Because I, I had a problem with the first Top Boy because it wasn't in our control, it wasn't our narrative. But seeing you and Nicholas in it, thank mm-hmm. you for the authenticity and the real right. talk. If I'd seen you in about 12 other shows the same way, then I'd have been like, well, hold on a minute. What are you doing to my Sharon? And what are you doing for us women? Because I know I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. I know there's a bunch of my, my girls that are of a certain age. We're out there popping and living life. Yeah, lush. Yeah. There's sure, not sure, one sure. screen story telling our moment. And I, and I would urge anybody out there thinking, yeah, my story's not been told or my sister's story's not been told, my mum's story's not been told, my daughter's story's not been told. Please, if you have a creative bone in your body, write it down, please. Because I agree with you, there were definite gatekeepers because I know stuff was being written and people were saying, well, we don't know if, uh, if the audience is really, and there was a lot of doubt and a lot of, but, the deal is this, we're going for a change at the moment, which has occurred for a lot of dark reasons and there's a lot of pressure from different angles, right? But the truth is there has been a lack of representation. It does need to be addressed. And now is the time for it to start happening. And it is happening. They need to step on it and they need to make sure that it's not done haphazardly, but that if you're going to have a storyline that has a certain age group, a certain type of person, that you get good writers in, on it and that you give them the support that they need to, to tell the story properly. And that it's not this sort of like low budget attempt of ticking another box because that's unacceptable. And it also means that the, whoever the performer is, is placed further under a lot more pressure than anybody else would who doesn't look like them, who is white. In your moments of seeing the rise and fall of black creativity in the UK, does mm-hmm. this time feel any more different? It feels different for me. I know that some of my elders who I respect have said, 
people are tired and people are more frustrated than anything because there were surges of great theatre companies, production companies, funding that occurred and people given the chance and then sort of batted away and, and then having to, to fight really hard to get anything after that. And so the rules, there are these waves that occur that I am tentative with anything that comes that looks like it's a positive change because when it feels that good, you go, okay, how is this permanent? Is this the way that things are going to stay or is this just another wave? And I, and I am curious about that right now, if I'm honest. I'm wary that things might slide or things are already sliding. But I think there's an energy that is coming in with Generation Y and Z. The rules are different for them. Their experience of what we went through, things were more blatant the racism that we were subjected to. I think now it's a lot more um, insidious. It's, 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 and so I'm not saying that that's a better thing for those youngsters because there's a, I know there's a lot of confusion sometimes when they're, when they're facing things. They go, I don't understand what's just happened. Whereas we would just call it what it is. So, you know, I'm wary. Look, it took, used to cost how many thousands upon thousands to make a film and that's why yeah. a lot of, but you know, I know for sure that there are allies out there there are people who are actively making a lot of changes and, and doing it tirelessly. I think so, because historically there's been allies. So historically we've always had that thing. It's just, I think at this very moment, people are being, even the allies are being forced to question their allyship and understand what that means mm-hmm. when their position is being challenged. But yeah. moving on to Intergalactic. Intergalactic! This, this is the story that you said, yeah, man, I'm going to take this role. Tell us about Tula. Tula Quick. She's bad. She's just, she's dark. She's, she's horrible. She's rude. She's aggressive. And for me, you know, I've, t- I've played many different roles, but I don't think I've ever, no one's ever really seen the extent of what Tula Quick is on screen. I had a pretty tough character in the intent to, and then she was, she was in it for a short while, but with Tula, this was, uh, she's, She's such a complex character. Um, she's been through so much and her relationships with everyone around her are fraught with, with all sorts of questions and, and um, vulnerabilities as well. So, you know me, I can't just be playing one cliche. There's got to be something complex going on. So, and the thing is as well, I've just come from doing, I was doing a, a sci-fi when I got the script and I was like, oh my gosh, it's another sci-fi, huh? And, but when I saw who, what, who she was and, and I just, yeah, I had to. I, I was just like, no, nah, I can't say no to this. I've got to try. So tell us, well, who is she in the intergalactic world and what's her role? So she's a, a, a new age gang lord who has old school ways of, of carrying herself. She, um, if there's any sense, any piece of badness, she's got, she's got her finger in it. So we find, we meet Tula and these other prisoners on a spaceship that's going off to a prison planet. And Tula is the person who initiates a a hijack. She's manipulative. She sits back and makes other people do work for her. She's on the ship with her daughter, who, as the season goes on, you'll see that their relationship is quite a difficult mother-daughter relationship. It's it's a very British sci-fi. It's not not trying to conform to that um, American format at all. It's just doing its own thing. And I think the casting that's going on with it as well, I think audiences are kind of people who go, Thank the universe for this. Do you feel like having yeah. Julia and I think Laura Grace is also credited, having the women writers on the projects, 
do you feel the difference in your character, especially being a woman character, if there's a woman woman's voice behind it? Not to say that men can't write for women, but is there an extra level of, yeah, man, you're seeing... I have always felt that, yeah. There's just that little bit extra. I do find it a lot in writers who really love their mothers and their sisters. But even in that dynamic, if you've got male writers who love their mothers, they create a very different piece to male writers who really love their sisters. Do you know what I mean? It's just oh, okay. a different... Yeah, there's a different approach in my experience. I would love to have an audition where I see the lead role says male or female, but also says any ethnicity. I would yeah. love for somebody to be brave enough to do that. And I know, and I know that would be very difficult for a casting agency, casting director, because that means a lot of work for them. But it's about presenting a character and then having somebody take that role on and then all the other intricacies that come to that person because of whoever they are, whatever they look like, they're still that character. They're always gonna, they were always gonna be that character. But what's interesting then is, is whoever comes along as lead and supporting. I, I think there's something about just doing that for once and seeing, I know people are gonna go, we can't do that. We can't predict, we can't, but why not? Why don't give it a go and see what happens? I think I would be for that as a consumer, as you said, it's for the other pieces of the puzzle that -hmm. bring the rest of the story to life. Because I do find with, sometimes I have a problem with colorblind casting when if your character is black in a space where they would have been white, Mm -hmm. then they can't still do the same thing that a white person would have done. Not to say that you have to change up everything and all of a sudden become a hundred, like a bunch of cliches or assumptions, but what are the nuances? Like you said, exactly. that you've got to be yeah. the bit where you're gonna. You're, she's not gonna get up out the bedroom and just <laughs> with a head wrap. With her head wrap, she's got to cream herself. I found don't you? There's just things. There's and I, I mean, you know, I, when, I was talking about that the other day. The head, the head wrap scenario where I had to press to get a head wrap because I said there is no way that this woman with this hairstyle would go to bed with without wearing a head wrap and they couldn't. Oh, you, I mean, can't we? No, can we? I mean, the designer says that the color won't. I said, listen. At the minute, and I said this in an interview the other day, but I said, the minute your black audience sees that, you've lost them. And that's not good. We can't do that to viewers. We're not supposed to alienate our viewers. We're supposed to grasp their interest and keep them as entertained as everybody else. It shouldn't be a dispelling of belief that goes on so long that they're starting to lose the information that's important that's been given to them. 100, 100,000 million percentagely percent percent exactly that that's exactly that because the minute I see a black character not do what I want it to do as a black mm-hmm. audience person then I disconnect and it pisses me off yeah. and I'm as a critic as well and let alone being in the job that I'm in mm-hmm. where I'm applying technical thought to it I yeah. need to see how much you respect me and the minute you do that that means you disrespect me and you dismissed as you said you can't discount the black audience and for too long the black audience has been discounted so how does Tula in a sci-fi, especially in a sci-fi space, and I'm sure she's not walking around saying, I'm a black woman, I'm a black woman, but how do you, do you feel comfortable, especially with the, with the multi-ethnic cast, multi-gender cast, mm-hmm. and all this representation, how is that addressed, not addressed, but how is it approached in Intergalactic? In Intergalactic, what's what's been embraced with us is, as performers, we've been allowed to, if anything comes to us as, as creatives, as storytellers, that, that we think should be dropped in, we're, we've been invited to go to the writers and say, and the producers and say, this is great, can we fine tune this here? Because we believe if, if she said this, she wouldn't really say that sort of thing. And so, you know, we've been given it creative input to a certain extent with, with our characters on, on the show and they've embraced our differences. 
thing about the thing about intergalactic identity is explored for sure, right right but it's there are people who aren't human there are people who are, have so many differences that ethnicity gender comes into it in in a, in a sense in some scenarios but even then it's it's more it's more nuanced than that it's more complex than that it's much more richly um explorative with with uh every individual character right. which is which is what made it a breath of breath of fresh air because we are brashing it we are obnoxious we do kill a lot of people this is, these are things that are not necessarily expected of these types of individuals in the average everyday show that we saw in the past but we're now in 2021 so this is for me a, a very bold step in the right direction which is let's tell stories about people and yes let's address things that need to be addressed if if, if, it, if, it, if it's um let's not ignore let's not ignore who these people are but let's actually embrace their differences and everything else about them as well so yeah it's it's a i think it's for audiences watching it there are people who, who used to watch bad girls who are going to love it for people who who like family related stuff they're going to love it people like sci-fi and cgi effects for people who like fast-paced action-packed all sorts of things spaceships flying around the place yeah. buggies people doing running getting in water getting muddy and dirty it's all there every episode has its own climax but still at the same time they you start to unravel all these different qualities of the different characters and then somebody who might seem a stereotype to begin with you start to find out why that stereotype is there there's nothing really that is conventionally um stereotypical without it being there being a reason for it and that's all we ask for so let me do the quick getting to know you thing so first thing for me give me a book that you have to have with you wherever you go now I'll be really honest, books, I have issues with reading and okay. it's, been, it's been a long time coming that I've started to read books, um, but I'm getting there. Funnily enough, I have two books right next to me. Ooh. Here is oh. Cecily Tyson, Just As I Am. I've not started reading it yet, but uh, because things have just been proper hectic. Oh. And then there's this book as well, which, oh my gosh, this is special. The Fire Next Time. Um, it's James Baldwin, right? So oh. James had written this um, a while ago, uh, must be maybe the 60s, I think. And yeah. um, then there was a guy called Steve Shapiro who was um, working alongside him and, and other uh, and many others and taking photos. So there, there was the book, which was, was um, James's, which was just text. And now this book here has got photos with the text. Oh, and, wow. Uh, I saw something online about it and I just said, you know what, I need to get this. So this came in last week and they've just been sitting here because they've been going please please just open us please and it's normally audio books for me i've had girl woman other which was long overdue for me i started transcendent kingdom by um yaji yasi i started dipping into girl 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 by kenya hunt i've had to write down because and, and to be honest with you it's been a problem for me because I think reading is knowledge and knowledge is power. And I feel like I've let myself down a lot by not reading. So I'm glad that I'm now getting on the audiobook tip because it has opened my eyes to so many truths and realities. So um, 
give me a song or an album that your friends will put on that will they'll be like if I put this on if we put this on Sharon's gonna backflip into gonna the bath up oh yeah. my gosh let me see I don't oh ooh, probably Baduism you know okay yeah from from way back but still that just puts me just on help. a nice mm. but if you're it depends if you're talking about shucking out I'm quite old school you know when it comes to um it depends on what friends friends if they're older friends they know if they put earth wind and fire on I start okay. doing and some rare grooves if they put a rare groove one I start you see Sharon you just be like what I never knew Sharon could fly like something on stage that you saw that stayed with you and a stage could be a play a concert or a performance if I Debbie Tucker Green when you were sat in the auditorium looking at the stage there was it seemed what seemed to be a glass box with smoke moving around and then these performers these actors faces would come and then disappear they would walk like ghosts and there was something about that that straight away my my bones my very dna made me think about our ancestors and and the struggles that they went through and the survival techniques that they had to go through it was it was it was a re- and the play hadn't even started that that was the thing play not start yet and that's what you're seeing and it just for me there was something in me that w- woke up that day actually and it it wasn't necessarily a positive thing it was a positive thing that i reconnected to it but um it was a feeling that i hadn't familiarized myself with for some time and that was the truth about who i am and what we've been through for so long Give me a TV show or film that you will watch anytime. Like, whenever it's on, you're like, I can watch this. You're going to laugh when I say what? Enchanted. Do you know what? No, I'm not going to laugh. I, with, when she's, um becomes a... a yeah, she's like, a cartoon character and then, and then she comes to, she comes I to the real it. No, no, that, I get that you. Thing, I don't know what it is about that. I don't know why. Well, it, it's just, it's good fun. It's, it's, it's taking the piss out of everything we know to be that world of Disney and animation and the cliches that, that have derived from it. But um, yeah, I, I can be sick or just trying to pass time and I'll just watch a little scene from that. And it gives me a little, I don't know, a little childlike boost. And then I just carry on going about my way. And there's I a think... scene in it where she sings to all the animals to come and clean up, the, clean up. The yes. <laughs> it, I bust up every time. I love that film too. Lastly, what's made you sad, mad and glad this week? The stupidness that the government put out this week, week about there being no institutionalized racism in this country, that has made me mad. Mm-hmm. Um, what has made me sad recently well over the whole covid period there have been many things there are lots of people who have died unnecessarily um some of them due to covid some due to racism some due to poverty in this 2021 there are yeah. things that should not be happening um with regards to people suffering and um, i get very sad and i also get very sad about the fact that while we're all in lockdown, there are things sort of being wiped under the fence, pushed away and, and surreptitiously things are going on that we'd normally be complaining about and bills being passed and, and trees being chopped down where they shouldn't be chopped down. And don't get me wrong, I know that people need housing, but we need trees to breathe for us. We need to respect this planet because it works for us. You know what I mean? And it works with us. 
the, all these different rainforests getting cut down, people without water. So much gets me sad, Bob, I tell you. And sometimes that's why I have to just extract myself and cut off for a little while from things. But um, you know what? I was glad when I woke up this morning and I was still in my bed and I could feel my toes moving and I could feel breath coming and I could smell my stink self. And that when I attempted to get out of bed, I could get out of bed and walk to the bathroom, turn the tap on and, and the water came through. And I was able to use soap and clean myself. Things like that I give thanks for right now because I think we really underestimate how lucky we are um, in this world. So the general day to day, I give thanks every morning when I wake up. I gave thanks to be having um, this, this meeting with you because I was like, finally we reach, we actually get to do this, which is, it's, it's been a long time coming, so. It really has, that's my big plan. Really?